Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. This is episode four of the podcast, and we will continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John, taught by the rector of St. Bartholomew's, Father Arthur Ward. In this episode, Father Ward answers some questions from those in attendance and unpacks verses 19 through 34 of chapter one. If you're just starting to listen to this podcast, we invite you to check out the first three episodes to get caught up to speed with this study. We want to thank you for listening, and we pray you are blessed by what you're about to hear as we turn it over now to Father Ward. So then, we go from what could be termed the prologue, the introduction of Jesus as the Word and who he is, and what he has wrought, and what, why he has come. And to now, the testimony of John the Baptist in further detail, and then the testimony of the first disciples of Jesus. And so we go now to verse 19. Now before we go into the second part of John chapter 1, are there any questions at this point? Yes, Linda. Yes. However, what's important to note is that when John used the word logos, he took the Greek concept of word, which was kind of like our concept of word, that it's a, it represents idea. The word is a representation of something that is greater than itself, but that's not what's being said here. Because in Greek thought, the word was the, the reasoning the uh, the mind, the essence, the idea of what it represents. In Hebrew thought, the Jews' word meant anything that God did to reveal Himself to His people. So what, what John did was he took the word and concept as it's understood in Jewish or Hebrew thought, and he combined it with the way the Greeks understood word, and he made it to say that he used that to identify Jesus. And where it goes a step further and where we can appreciate him taking the Greek philosophical with the actual revelation of the Hebrew together is that what John is saying is that the very manifestation of God as the word is actually God himself. So the means is also the reality of what the means represents. That's the power of John using the expression, the word. So when I say a a word, let's say red car, okay? Immediately you guys think of a red car. Now the red car, what I just said, that word, that expression, isn't actually a red car. But it, puts in your mind a red car. So what John is saying is that when I say the red car, that's the actual red car. Both. And it's, it's in other words, that Jesus shows us God, but he's actually God. I don't know if that makes sense to everyone. If if that, you know, yes, quick question. Okay, praise the Lord, everyone. Okay, real quick. Yeah. Okay. I like the way you explained that. The same word, word, that spoke creation into appearance 
and took action in creation itself, then became flesh to take on the sin problem. So that's Jesus, right? Um, yeah, the same word that spoke creation and, and is, is the same word that became flesh to take care of the sin problem. Yes. Amen. I just wanted to make sure I had that right in my yes. head. And another thing is, you mentioned begotten means to bring forth, but you said more, but I couldn't record. Yeah, begotten means that it's just kind of coming forth. It just comes forth. It doesn't have a beginning. Sometimes people think that that means beginning. It doesn't mean the beginning. It just means it comes forth. That it shows as an eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. Because oftentimes, because of the way we understand things in our own families, and if we've had children, you know, if I have a son, well, that means that if there's a father and a son, that the son came from the father, but that the son had a beginning. Only begotten means that the Son does come from the Father, but it's an eternal relationship. Because Jesus came from the seed of a woman, and we are from the seed of a woman. Well, well, that would be, when you say seed of the woman, that just means of the virgin birth. Yeah, that, that means that there was no uh, male seed involved. It was just uh, Mary was a virgin. That doesn't tie it into begotten. Right, I mean, again... The Son and the Father are eternally coexistent, have that eternal special relationship. But I think what kind of sometimes confuses people is that because the Son actually was born of a woman and had a beginning on earth, it makes it hard for people to understand that the Son never had a beginning prior to that. Uh, That's why many Jews and many Muslims have a hard time embracing this concept because what has been ingrained in them from the very beginning, especially if they've been brought up in that faith, is that there's just one God. Hence, Muslims will say, you know, Allah is one and he has no son, right? And then the Jews have a hard time with it as well. They had a hard time with it when Jesus came. That's why they were ready to pick up stones and and kill him because he was committing blasphemy. So Jesus had the same problem 2,000 years ago, so it shouldn't surprise us that we have the same problem when we try to share this. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is stuff we can't fully comprehend. You can't wrap your head around it fully. It's kind of wild when you think about it. But the wonderful thing is, God gives us so much evidence from just life itself as well as the evidence of history, as well as the evidence of his word that points us to this reality that we can't fully grasp or understand, but we have the sense that it makes practical sense just as the sun gives us light physically to understand this world, but even when we can see the world and start to understand things, we can't fully understand things. The sun itself isn't going to fully, there's still going to be things that we don't fully understand, but that doesn't mean we just stay home and do nothing. We move forward. In the same way, spiritually, God shows us himself in the person of his son, shows us this dynamic relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and although we can't fully comprehend it, because of our own limitations as created beings, we can still see a lot of 
its truth and how it reflects reality. Because even when you think of the triune relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that relationship in and of itself reflects God's nature of love because in order for there to be true love, there has to be others in that relationship. And the perfect relationship is a relationship of three because even a relationship of two can grow inward. Hence the relationship of husband, wife, father, and mother, and God giving us the ability to have children. And we all know that while being married will teach you the importance of selflessness, having children takes it to a whole new level. Right? And we know that true love is expressed in selflessness and humility. True love is expressed in service, serving others and forgiveness. True love is expressed in sacrificing all which are necessary for a relationship to truly succeed. And certainly that is true when it comes to raising a family. Any other questions? Yes. Yes. Why did he just keep going? I'm sorry? Why did he just keep going into the world? What do you mean keep going into the world? Well, he didn't come until 2,000 years later. Why? We read in John's Gospel, actually, later on, that Jesus came in the fullness of time. The a word time there, there's two Greek words for time, chronos, which we get chronology, and it's just the time on a watch, and kairos, which is time a specific it's kind of like when everything kind of falls into place you know perfect timing you know and so when we're we're set in the fullness of time that means in god's plan of salvation jesus came at the perfect time now when you say why didn't jesus stay in the garden why didn't jesus rectify things back then gino i have no idea (laughs) that is a question That is a question that I am sure we will know when we're in glory, okay? And remember how just five minutes ago I was saying there are certain things we can't fully understand. But there's enough that we can understand, that we have to move forward with that which we can't understand. What the problem is that people sometimes get so frustrated or they get so full of themselves or they become too, they overthink things that it freezes them and they're not able to go any further. It's why Jesus said, unless you have faith like a child, you can't, what, really enter the kingdom. You can't grow in the kingdom. And you think of children, children are naturally trusting. Children, if you think of your childhood, man, in some ways, if you had a good childhood, hopefully, you know, because some people, unfortunately, do not, do not have a good childhood because they have psycho parents or what have you, right? It's true, okay. But if you've had a good childhood, what's true of a good childhood? And that is a good childhood you're kind of bliss, right? You don't know a lot. You're just happy, right? Until you find out more things as you get older. And that, what can happen then is make people cynical. And that can actually rob you of your faith. You can't let that happen. You've got to rise above that. So, okay, I, we need to keep going or we're going to run out of time. Uh, what time is it? Ooh, 7.40. Okay, well, if we don't finish, that's okay. We've got next week, right? Okay, let's uh, keep it going here. Verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the leadership is 
sending some highfalutin guys to find out who this John character is because he's a threat to their power. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, not the Messiah. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Because in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, and prophecies are the idea that Elijah is going to come back to earth. God's going to send Elijah back before the coming of the Messiah. And so now most think that that's a prophecy to the second coming. That Elijah would might uh, someone like Elijah, in fact, that's talked about in Revelation, will come before Christ uh, return. And then they said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, wh- wh- who's the prophet? The prophet actually isn't the Messiah, but some Jews did not realize that the prophecy that's found in Deuteronomy that refers to one like Moses will be sent in the distant future. One like Moses. And so that was the prophet. And some Jews thought that that would be another person who would be sent before the coming of the actual Messiah. And John says, no, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not the prophet. I am not the Messiah. And then they asked him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. And so he was quoting a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which talks of a forerunner of someone who is preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. And what was John's message? His message was repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the same message that Jesus had in his ministry to start off. Repent, get your heart right. Now, John was baptizing people in the river Jordan and other places and certainly water, ritual water washings were important in the Jewish faith, in the temple, for proselytes coming to faith. And, but John's emphasis was not so much on the water, even though the water was a powerful symbol and sign of God's cleansing power. But John's message was you've got to get right. You've got to get right in your hearts. And if you've got to get right in your hearts... When the Lord is not here, how much more do you have to get right when God Himself is here? So John was just doing the right thing. He was doing what God had called him to, and he was being honest with the religious leaders. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Now we get specifically who of the Jews had sent them. And remember, the Pharisees were the legalists, the fundamentalists of Jesus' day. They were the ones who were most often in conflict with Christ because they were the ones who determined how you really measure up to the law and what you need to do. And, and, but remember, they added all these extra burdens to people, Jesus said. Stuff that wasn't even the Word of God. And so they were checking things out. And they asked Him and said to Him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is He who comes after Me. The thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, there's two things I want you to remember about John the Baptist. First, he comes to uh, pave the way for Jesus. And in doing that, second, 
he is always deferring to the Lord. He's always saying, I'm not even worthy to be around the Lord's presence. When he says, I am not even worthy to bow down and untie the thong of the Lord's sandals, what he is saying is, I am not, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. Because that's what a slave would do. A slave would untie the shoelaces or the, the thongs of the sandals of the master. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to be the Lord's slave. That's, what, that's amazing how John, how he describes it that way. I think we lose sight of that. Verse 28, these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So there's some historical information. John is not just coming up with this mythology or you know, made up stuff. He's saying, hey, this, he's reporting it. You know, these aren't technically history in that they give every blow-by-blow account, but the Gospels are historical pieces. They do give us important historical and geographical and cultural information. Verse 29, the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. One of the most powerful uh, verses in John 1, after in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And It would be John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now why is that so significant? Not only is it because Jesus is identified as the Lamb of God, but by identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God, what John is doing is saying that Jesus is now the true Passover Lamb. When is the Passover Lamb sacrificed? It is sacrificed during the Feast of Passover. Why do they have the Feast of Passover? To celebrate God's deliverance of His people from the angel of death while they were in bondage in Egypt. And they sacrificed the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and the mantles. And God passed over. The angel of death passed over. It also was to celebrate their deliverance from their bondage and slavery in Egypt. So what John is saying is now Jesus is that true Passover lamb. He's going to set his people free. But notice, he didn't just say Israel. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Right? Isn't that awesome? It's not just for the Jews. It's for Jews and Gentiles. And this idea of taking away sin is so important to understand because sin is simply saying that I'm going to do my own thing and I can determine what's right and wrong in my life apart from God. That was ultimately the sin of Adam and Eve. They basically said, God, we know better than you. God says, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. They said, no, they were tempted by Satan, but Satan didn't make them do it. They were tempted because they had a desire to do things their own way. That's at the heart of all sin. The problem is that when we do that, that not only hurts our relationship ultimately with ourselves, it only hurts ourselves because we're cutting ourselves off from the Lord, but it ultimately breaks down in our relationships with other people and then ultimately our relationship with God who is the essence of life, who provides everything for us, it cuts us off from that. And God can't just sweep it under the rug because if God did that, then he would be denying the whole essence of who he is. God is first and foremost a holy God. He's a just God. And so that when you do something wrong, you have to be held accountable. Think about it for a moment. A lot of people like to, don't like the idea of God being the heavy, playing the heavy. They don't like the idea of God punishing. Well, think about that. How in any society could you survive if you had courts, if you had judges that did not issue any punishment? When you get before the judge and say, well, you were accused of this, that, and that, and it was, oh, okay, you got, well, you're, you're, you're exonerated. Don't worry about it. See you tomorrow. 
what kind of justice would that be? There's got to be justice. There's got to be a payment. And when you sin against God, I mean, that's the ultimate. It's one thing if I sin against you or you sin against me, but if I sin against the very one who gives me life, that's huge. And so the beautiful thing about Jesus and the cross is that Jesus as the Lamb of God, that refers to his death on the cross that will be taking place three years hence. It demonstrates God's holiness and justice and the satisfaction, pain, our sin, the consequences of our sin, but it also demonstrates his love. Both are demonstrated in the cross. Hence, 1 John 2, the Apostle John highlights the holiness and just justice requirements that Jesus fulfills in the cross when he writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Think of a lawyer, right? He's your advocate. He's there for you, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. That's a fancy Greek word that means satisfies God's just wrath for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So the justice, the holiness of God is satisfied in the cross. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But also the love of God is demonstrated in the cross. Paul writes, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's the beauty of the cross and hence the meaning behind the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 30, this is he on behalf, John the Baptist is still speaking, of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So remember, there's repetition. That's the one thing you'll find in the Gospels and in all of Scripture, repetition. The second time he said that. You're going to see that John says for a second time, behold the Lamb of God. He identifies Jesus twice as the Lamb of God. Verse 31, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Ah, did you catch that? Let me read it again. We have the introduction of the third person of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. The Spirit is identified as he, not an it. The Spirit is not a force, as most of the cults teach. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And it was the Spirit that descended like a dove upon the Son. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This John could say, hey, repent. John could say, be baptized in water. But John can't, couldn't save. John couldn't transform the people's lives. Only Jesus is the one who can save. Only Jesus is the one who can transform us, and he does it through the Holy Spirit, so that when you ask Christ into your heart, it's not Jesus the Son who literally comes into your heart, it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who comes into our hearts. That's how we have a spiritual rebirth. When God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, takes over our spirit. 
Jesus shows us the Father. It is the Spirit, we'll learn later in John's Gospel, as a result of Jesus' teaching on the night before he died. It is the Spirit who shows us Jesus. So right now, if the light bulb is going on in your head and in your heart, or even if you're struggling with things, right now it's your Spirit working with the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, how much are you going to let the Holy Spirit direct you, lead you, and guide you? Verse 34. I myself have seen, this is John the Baptist again, and have testified that this is the Son of God. So the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the true light, the Word of God, all referring to Jesus. With that, We'll finish up chapter 1 next week, but I'd like to uh, have a few minutes for questions before everyone can be dismissed. I know there was a, a question, Jan. Yeah. Not really a question, but uh, kind of an enlightenment I had a long time ago in reading the creed. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me one time was eternally begotten. Yes, eternally and begotten. Eternally begotten to me means that Eternity is forever. It's always. Right. It's now. It's now. It's always Jesus present. Is an right. Now he's a man. Now he couldn't have stayed in the garden because he had not yet become flesh. In order to fulfill God's plan, he had to be born of a woman, and God chose a virgin for that for very good reason. Father Amon said one right. time, "Had there been no virgin birth, there would be no Jesus." That's right. I hope did everyone hear that? Those were good points, Jan. I'm going to have to try. To repeat them. And they kind of answer your question, Gino. That Jesus could not remain in the garden after the sin of Adam and Eve because there would be no way for God to pay for that sin because in order for that sin to be paid for, it would have to be a descendant of Adam and Eve. And because if you remember, what did God do? He made He killed animals. That was the first death that shows us the seriousness of sin. And how did he cover their sin? With an animal sacrifice. And remember, he covered them with the animal skin. In order to have the animal skins, you have to kill the animal. And then, how did how was sin atoned or paid for until the time of Christ? It was through animal sacrifice. And they used portions of the animals for food, but they would use 10%, roughly, just to burn up to God as an offering for the sin, to remind us the seriousness of sin, and it leads ultimately to death. But the point of the matter is, and it shows God's incredible love, His patience, and His power, that it was through, God said, the seed of the woman, the seed of Eve, that the Messiah would be born. The one who would pay for our sin. And it would have to be born of a virgin... I made this point in seminary when people said, oh, God could have done it with just a human man and a human. Impossible for two reasons. If you have a human father and a human mother, we know from just science that you have a unique human being of genes from father and mother. That could not be Jesus the Son because that would be a unique human being. Otherwise, it would mean that the Spirit would kind of possess the person. But that's ridiculous. It had to be, that's the first reason. Second, it had to be of a virgin because if you had a father and a mother, they both would be sin, had, would have the sin problem. You had Mary, the mother, 
And then you have the Holy Spirit that sanctified the egg. And you wouldn't have original, the problem of original sin. So that's why Mary had to be, um, sorry, Jesus had to be born of a virgin mother. Otherwise, it would have been actually human progeny. He was fully flesh, but he was fully God at the same time. He never sinned. He's totally righteous. And because of that, he can be the total payment for our sin. Everybody else, that's why a human sacrifice would be absurd. Because not only, well, number one, it's committing murder because you're made in the image of God and we're not to commit murder because people are made in the image of God. And secondly, every human being has sinned. So a human couldn't take the place of my sin because they got their own sin. Wouldn't work. You have to have a perfect sacrifice. Did you want to say something more? Mm -hmm. the Father. To me, every time I receive the host in communion, Mm -hmm. it reminds me of that because in a way, I'm born again every time I accept Jesus into my heart and have asked his forgiveness for my sins. So that eternally begotten is a constant renewal of all mankind. Jesus is always born again and again and again in our hearts, in our spirits. Yes, spiritually, one could make that case spiritually, yes, that Jesus is born spiritually. And the fact of the matter is, people who have not yet been born, have yet not come to faith, that it's going to be new to them when that comes time. But at the same time, what Jesus did on the cross was once and for all, for all the sins past, present, and future. So what Jesus did in time was good for all eternity. And remember, eternity, you'll go nuts trying to comprehend eternity. You'll go nuts trying to comprehend infinity. That's why I love the quote from Job, who can fathom the mysteries of God? Who can probe the limits of the Almighty? No one, and if you try to do, you'll go nuts. So don't go down that road. (laughs) But a good way to understand eternity is, as you had mentioned, Jan, it's just always present. You're just always present. We all, all look at it as a timeline. Oh, keep going. You know, you, you, you go nuts. Okay, any other questions before we dismiss? Any other questions or comments? Yes? Yes. Right, well, according to them. But if you look at Deuteronomy, the prophet is actually a reference to the Messiah. So what I'm saying is that for the Jews, some of the Jews did not recognize the prophecy in Deuteronomy concerning this prophet like Moses, but it's understood to actually be Jesus himself. And I, I don't know if I gave the, the verse from Acts that sheds more light. Did I? Did I give a verse from Acts that sheds more light on that? But there is a, a passage in Acts that uh, points out the distinction and where the apostles actually identify Jesus as the prophet in that messianic prophecy. And that's in Acts, and I don't have it uh, right now. So anyhow, any other uh, questions? I'll have it for you next week. Any other questions or comments? Okay, let's pray. 
Lord God, we thank you for this fruitful time, and I hope uh, it has been beneficial that we would uh, really appreciate what you have done in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we understand why he is God, why he is the one who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you for the testimony of John the Apostle and John the Baptist. We thank you for the preservation of your word. Help us to uh, take advantage of the times we're living in to spend time with you. Let us take advantage of the resources we have in this nation spiritually. Let us make the most of the time, Lord. But we know that the days are short and uh, we live in, in, uh, in a tough age, an evil age, you even call it. So help us to continue to follow you. Help us to glorify Christ in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. For more information about the church, including a list of our service times, please visit our website at www.stbartston.org. Again, that's www.stbartston.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. Both will help in reaching more people with this podcast. If you're on Facebook, head over to facebook.com slash transforming lives together podcast. Again, that's facebook.com slash transforming lives together podcast and give us a like. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. God bless you.